0: revelation chapter 18 there is the fall of babylon babylon the entity that has been deceiving god's people and forcing its law has been defeated and there is a loud cry to god's people and people that are in babylon to come out of babylon and as Revelation chapter 18 concludes and reports the fall of Babylon, Revelation chapter 19 now goes into praising God of how great God is of the, at the fall of Babylon. Revelation chapter 19 has two parts, verses 1 through 10, talking about rejoicing over the fall of Babylon, and announce, announcement of the Mary's Supper, wedding supper of the Lamb, the second part 11 to 21 talks about coming of jesus as king and the final destruction of evil and if you just read revelation 19 the scripture reading godfrey just read thank you for that it talks about hallelujah what does the word hallelujah mean well this is a term that avenists don't really use as often i've seen other people use obviously, people from the Old Testament used way more often. But the word hallelujah actually is quite interesting. So let's look briefly into what this word means. So the word hallelujah actually is a Hebrew word. Two composite words of two Hebrew words, halel and ja, the composite words. Halel um, is actually a Hebrew transliteration of Alleluia, So it's actually the word that we borrow from Hebrew. And the word Hallel is actually the second person imperative masculine plural. So that's a lot of words. What that means is that second person, it's you. Imperative, it's, it's a command. It's asking you to do something. And it's masculine because in Hebrew, you have to have the word in either masculine or feminine form. form and plural. So it's you guys, you have to do something. It's, it's asking for a, an action, command to do something. So it's, it's that of the word halal. And the word halal means these. It means to praise and to shine, to boast, to celebrate, to give glory, and to be even mad and be raged. Have a rage. That's what it means. So, halel means that, and ja is the short form of Jehovah. So, you know the word, hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. So, that's exactly what it means. Hallelujah basically means praise ye the Lord. But praise is not everything. There is a lot more meaning to it in the word halel Hebrew. So, as we said, praise the Lord, that's the first meaning. That is the most meaning. But then there is to shine. It means it's asking you to shine Jehovah in your in your life, in your in your word, in your praise. And to boast, Jehovah, that's what it means. And to celebrate Jehovah, to give glory to Jehovah. That's what that means. But also it means to be mad or to have a rage for God's name. Remember the story of Jesus when he was upset, when he was angry? when he entered into the temple when when he saw the priest messing up the service and doing something bad and making money off of that and he was he was he was angry and he turned the tables over and he kicked everyone out right so that actually is an act of hallelujah we have I haven't thought about it that way but actually that word means that in that root word that actually has that so if you go back to your your, your Bible study, you can look up the Strong's Accordance, or BDB, uh, and it, the meaning is all there. So study that and see what that means. Hallelujah means all of that. So would you, would you hallelujah? <laughs> so hallelujah, it sounds like, okay, it's a little bit foreign because we don't use that word that often, but we say this phrase all the time, praise God. We, praise, we say that all the time. That's basically the same thing. Right? Praise God. That's what hallelujah means. But in that, know that it includes the word of glorifying God, to shine to shine God, to proud, to be proud, to boast about God, and to celebrate with God, to give glory, to be raged, to be mad when you see injustice. That's what is included in the word hallelujah. But another interesting fact about Hallelujah is that in the old testament, especially in the book of Psalm there are hundreds and hundreds of mentions of praise God, praise the Lord. But in the New Testament, how many times is this phrase, hallelujah, or praise God is mentioned? I never really thought about it. But if you study in the, old, in the New Testament, there are only four times mentioned. Only four times. And you know where all those four times are? Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 verses 1, 3, 4, and 6. Hallelujah. mentioned four times. And that's the only four times mentioned in the all entirety of the New Testament. So the, old, the New Testament is waiting the whole time, all this time, through the ministry of Jesus, through the history of, of the disciples, the apostles, Pauline writings, and down through the ages, all the time, it's saving its word, hallelujah, up until the time Babylon falls. And then, praise God! That's what it's saying four times. So it's really interesting how New Testament is using this phrase, hallelujah. And verse 4, it talks about amen. Uh, again, this amen is another phrase, Hebrew transliteration. And we use this word all the time, amen, which means what? Amen means to believe, to believe actually the word meaning is belief or assurance, faithful, sure, trust, and verifying. So it's it's noun and verb at the same time. It usually means when we say that, it means, okay, I agree with you. I support what you're saying. That's what it means. But it also means to confirm. It also means to be faithful. So there is a lot more meaning to it. And when you read uh, Revelation chapter 19, what it happens is that when the Babylon falls, who is shouting, who is crying out, hallelujah, amen? Who is doing that? We haven't read it because it takes too long to read the whole chapter. But if you go back and read it, it is actually the great multitude and the 24 elders and four living creatures. And they all shout, hallelujah, amen. So all the heavenly beings everyone who is watching all this, it's not, it's not just one or two. Basically, the whole heavenly host. Um, but these are all the beings that have been saved, not the angels. Not the angels. Great multitude are the saved people. And 24 elders are the people who have been saved and redeemed from the earth. So they go up. Um, and they are the ones who, who praise hallelujah. Hallelujah watching what god is doing at the moment when babylon falls all evil is vanished that's when this praise comes up hallelujah so when we say hallelujah yes we mean that but can you imagine the weight the impact of the word hallelujah at this time when all evil is gone and the universe now can see And say, what God has done, you are right, you are just, and what you have done, you are worthy to be praised. So that's what it means. It's not just amen, hallelujah, and just read over. There is a lot more depth to it here. Verse 7 talks about the wedding. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. I got married in 2005 in Korea. Jasmine and I were living in Korea at that time, and we got married there. It's been, now this year is the 15th year. <laughs> Woo, time flies. <laughs> but we got married in a Korean Adventist modern-style wedding. If you know what that means, it is a, a Korean-style wedding. There is a groom and the bride and there are no wedding parties. There is no groomsmaid. There is no bridesmaid, groomsman and bridesmaid. And it's uh, simple, quick. But it's at a church. A lot of couples in Korea, they get married at a wedding wedding hall, like a wedding house. It's like a factory wedding. It's, it's, it starts and it finishes in, in about an hour. And there's another couple that's coming in to wait and then after, while you are doing it, there are other people that are coming, other guests from other weddings, completely strangers, they come in, they wait in line, so that for your wedding to be over, and they go in, it's like a factory, like every one hour, two, like one couple, like two people, set weddings are done, you don't have to change your, your decoration, the, the wedding hall, it's all the same, it's the way how things are done, in some cases, at wedding halls, but Christian weddings are done at church. It's just one wedding for the whole day, and it's, it's, it's more like here. But um, my friends and all, all, everybody are there, but I had about, we had about 500 people that came to our wedding. We were expecting about 400, but about 500 people came. So think about what it was like when you we were eating. <laughs> Reception and the wedding is done at the same place, same church, so it tells you how Koreans don't like to RSVP. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen how Korean culture is like when you say, okay, you can RSVP, nobody responds. That's the culture. <laughs> That's how we are. But then we just show up. <laughs> when the RSVP goes out, when the announcement goes out, people plan to be there. They just don't let you know. Many people don't let you know. They just show up. <laughs> That's what it is. So it was quite interesting, but we expected that, but still we had more people than we expected. Um, but for us to understand this wedding, this, this wedding in Revelation 19, we need to understand the ancient Hebrew wedding culture. So we'll be talking about that today a little bit. So ancient Hebrew wedding, I, I'm getting this uh, information from the article of the myjewishlearning.com. And it's not me, but it's, it's from there. And traditionally, people got married early on in their youth, in their young age, most of the times. And marriage usually is a contract between two family members, not just you two. Like today in our society, two people, like, oh, I love you, I like you. Okay, I want to marry you. And then they inform their parents, okay, we got engaged, we're getting married. Okay, good luck. That's what happens. There in the Bible times, No. You don't go ahead and just go ask for uh, someone's hand in marriage. What you do is that you don't do anything, you just patiently wait, and it's your parents that arrange something. So when the parents think that you, especially young lady, no, they don't really do anything, they just patiently wait. And as the parents of the, of the young man, they are looking for someone, looking for a damsel, looking for a girl, nice girl that they can match with their son. So when they find someone that they think they are a good match, they go and talk to their son. Do you think this person will be good? Or sometimes they just skip that step altogether. They just go straight to the parents of the, of the girl and say, okay, we have a young man, we have a son, and we want to, oh, uh, we think your, your daughter will be a good match. What do you think? And when they agree, then they can move on from there. But if they do not agree, it it happens sometimes, but then there's no fight. They just say, okay, too bad. We'll go find somebody else. That's what happens. Now, now, fathers are usually the ones that are uh, arranging the match, not mothers, fathers. And fathers were more concerned about the marriage of their sons rather than their daughters why is that they love their sons more than their daughters no it's because to marry your son you have to prepare a dowry you have to provide that for your daughter to be married it doesn't cost anything rather you receive gifts so you have no worries for your daughters to be married but for your sons you have to you better have a lot of money (laughs) so can you can you empathize with Jacob's worries how many sons did he have 12 sons how many girls did he have 21 (laughs) so he's in a losing business right there (laughs) right That's exactly what's happening, Um, but sometimes a third person is involved as a matchmaker. Remember the movie, The Fiddle on the Roof. I don't know how many of you watched that movie. That's a really old movie, but it's a really great movie that talks about the Jewish tradition. And the song "Matchmaker" talks about matchmaker, um, find me a match, or or, uh, make me a match, find me a find, catch me a catch. That that catchy tune. Uh, but that that basically is that. So the third, a third person is involved in the story of Isaac and Eliezer. Eliezer is not the father, but he is the third person involved in that, and he's working as a matchmaker there. So that is biblical. That happens. And when the parents of the young man will inquire of the interest, and, and the parents will go and talk to the parents of the young lady, when there is an agreement, then both parents will go to the city gate and in the presence of the elders of the town of the village and they would make the arrangements and they will make the agreement and sometimes they'll throw shoes remember the story of boaz and ruth that's where that story comes in so when we can't really travel right now but when we get a chance to go to go to jerusalem or go to go to israel and you will get to go see the city gates what, what, the village gates, what happens? Like, that's the place where all the business takes place. All the important, uh, the judge, uh, the judgment will take place. The Weddings, wedding arrangement, not wedding itself, but the wedding arrangements will take place. So that's an important place. And the city gate, will, will the two parents will go, and they'll make the arrangements in the presence of the elders. And elders will agree, okay, so this is legal, this is good, this is, this is legit. That's what they agree on. And from that point on, and... The arrangement is made, and the first gift, the dowry, is given. So the dowry has two parts: the parts that is given to the parents, the father of the bride, and some parts that is given to the bride herself, like the wedding ring and some other things that are given to the, the girl. So when that happens, guess what? The marriage is legal. From that point on, they're considered married they are betrothed Uh, so meaning it's like they're uh, engaged but the word "engaged," we have the the meaning engagement is different completely different than uh, betrothed so this word in hebrew context is way different like remember the story of mary and joseph they were they were betrothed but then they never were living together in the same house. They never had intimacy together. They were betrothed. They were promised to marry, but Joseph was living in his own home, and Mary was living in her own home, but they were married. For you to break that relationship, you need a divorce to do that. So from that engagement, or from that point of agreement, their marriage started. But what happens between that time frame is different than our culture. So I'll talk, we'll talk about that. So the, from the point of two parents agreeing and exchanging gift, or the groom's parents giving the gifts to the, the bride's parents, fr- bride's dad, actually, um, that's the beginning of the marriage, wedding. And when that happens, after that point, what happens is this, or before that. So the the father of the bride who receives the dowry, a lot of times, the father will give if some or a large portion of that dowry to the daughter when she gets married, or sometimes all of it, sometimes a little bit of it. But sometimes the dad would keep all of the wedding gifts to himself and give nothing to the daughter. Those kind of dads are considered unkind but that does happen. <laughs> um, so you can't, as a daughter, you can't ask for that. It's something that the father would give it to you, but that's the, the custom. So a mean father will not give anything. So remember the story of Jacob and his uh, Rachel and Leah? That 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 story is like How come you ran away so quickly? You didn't give me any time to kiss my grandchildren, kiss my daughter, and and so on. But Jacob was like, you know, you you cheated many times, and you uh, changed the contract so many times. You lied to me so many times, so I ran away. So you can kind of see what's going on there um, with that relationship there. But from the time on, what happens is that the bride will go to the father's house, and she would prepare herself for the wedding date. And the young man, now the groom-to-be, will go back to the father's house and prepare a house for the newly wedded couple to live together. So from that point on, the groom is preparing a house, and the bride is preparing herself. That time frame could be any time from one month to several months to over a year, depending on how they are preparing. I guess the bride doesn't have a lot to prepare. It's just herself preparing. But the groom has to prepare a house. So unless you have your house already built or half built, it will take a long time, up to a year sometimes. But the interesting part is this. When the groom prepares or the young man prepares the house, he doesn't prepare a house all alone, independently, outside of the father's house. The young man prepares a nuke inside the father's house. Isn't that interesting? So here, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Doesn't that make a, give a little hint of what's happening? From the wedding contract, the groom-to-be is going away to the father's house and prepares a nuke Inside the Father's house. And here, this famous verse says this. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Ye, ye believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mentions. It says, in my Father's house are many mentions. Just like the, the, the culture there. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And there where I am, there ye may be also. So, where is Jesus now? He's up in heaven, and he's preparing what? A nuke, a place, a mansion for us to go live. Does that make sense? So, all the Bible stories that we have heard so far, it makes perfect sense if you think about all the wedding culture and what is going to take place. So, God is, or Jesus is, up in heaven in the Father's house preparing a place So that he can come and take us back home. And while that is taking place, we, the bride, are preparing ourselves, adorning ourselves, so that the groom can come and take us back to the father's house to live together. Are we married yet? Yes, we are. We are under this contract, we are under this oath. As soon as we say, Jesus, I love you, I want to commit my heart to you, when we get married, when we give our heart to Jesus, that is when the betrothal starts. We have not been consummated yet, but that consummation takes place when the wedding takes place. We are living in this time of engagement, which is the legal, start of the legal contract already. So our salvation has started already. But can you turn away and go to another man during this time? Yes. That's what the story happened for Joseph and Mary. Joseph was thinking, you know what, you got pregnant, and that's not me. So I'm going to end this relationship, meaning I'm going to divorce you. You are supposed to be killed, stoned, but I'm just going to end this quietly. Yes, we as the bride-to-be can turn away and be adulterous. That's what God is warning against and say, do not be Babylon and be a, a faithful virgin, faithful bride. That's what God is. That's the whole message of Revelation. And when the time comes, when it's about time for a man to uh, finish his mansion, and come back to bring his bride back home what happens is this so at that time the bridegroom says okay dad i'm ready now i'm going to go and get my bride back home and the father blesses him and bride is super excited the groom is super excited he goes not alone but he goes with a procession he goes with his friends to go bring his bride back to his father's house Remember John the Baptist in uh, John the Baptist in John chapter three verse twenty nine through thirty. He says this: "The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and is now complete. He he must increase, I must decrease." So when John the Baptist, hearing about his disciples following Jesus, and they're all going to him. And he says, you know what? It's okay. He must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. And he says, I'm happy to see that this wedding place or the bridegroom is doing what he's supposed to do. That's what he's saying. So that's in light with this wedding culture that is taking place, the wedding process that is taking place. And you know the funny thing? The first year of this wedding, engage, wedding engagement, wedding betrothal. This is the time, it's interesting in the Jewish culture. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, it says, If a man is newly married, he must not be sent to war or be, pre- or be pressed into any duty. For one year, he is free to stay at home and bring joy to, his, joy to the wife he has married. So we know that he's not going to be sent to war for one year, the first year of his marriage. That starts from what time? Starting from the betrothal. Starting from that time, he has no military duty. And you know what else? It says, or be pressed into any duty. What does that mean? Duty free. That? No tax. You know, how nice would that be if you get married the first year, you have no tax, <laughs> no income tax, no sales tax. How nice would that be? <laughs> That's exactly what happened to the first year of the newlywed, especially the man. So when he's building his his, nuke, his house, when he goes to Home Depot, buys things, there's no tax. When he buys land, there's no tax. He'll be awesome, right? That's exactly what happened. Amen, yes, <laughs> So when he's prepared, when he's done preparing this nuke, and he goes and he brings his wife, and he goes with his friends, with a procession, he goes. And the Father blessing him, he goes. Sometimes they don't know exactly when they're coming. Now, if the village of the bride and the groom is in the same house, same village, it's like a really short trip. But if the village are separate, like in the story of the ten virgins, they don't know when the groom is coming. They're just waiting. They hear the word that he may be coming, but they don't know the exact time when he's coming, right? So that's happening. And when, when he goes, and he is picking up the the, the the bride to take her with him. Now, when the people are, are preparing, uh, all the virgins were preparing and, and ready, right? And when that happens... Um, they go and they have, they meet, they, so that the party, the, the procession will go pick up the bride and will celebrate in the bride's house if they are living in two separate villages. And the wedding party, wedding, wedding festival will go on days. Remember the story of the, uh, sorry, the wedding in Cana right, where Jesus turned water into wine? It would take days, right? So sometimes up to seven days. That's what happened. So they would have a celebration at that time in the bride's house, the father's house. And then after that, they will march on to the groom's house, and they will do that for another few days. If they lived in the same place, same town, then they would just go straight into the groom's house, and they would, that's, what, that's where they would have the celebration for seven days. And now, The wedding dowry, talking about the wedding dowry. Um, but the reason why the wedding dowry was given to the bride is this. You know, does, does it make sense for the father of the groom to give such gift to the father of the bride and receive nothing back? Does it make sense? It's basically purchasing This this woman it's because of the culture women were not considered as the same as having the same right as men women belong to men so basically when this agreement happens the bride the father of the groom is purchasing a property from the father of the bride so now i am going to purchase valuable asset that can come and live in my house. Remember that the house, the nuke, that the the newly ready couple is living inside the father's house. So that means you have more family to feed, but that means more family members, one more person to work and to do house chores. You have the whole life work of, of man labor. Basically, you are getting that. That's why you are paying the father the whole price for that. If the, if the lady was more industrious, more, I guess, famous, then you have to pay higher value for the dowry. That was the whole idea. So, uh, between, um, oh, okay, and the wedding meant only this, okay, here's a quote The wedding meant only that the betrothed woman accompanied by a colorful procession, was brought from the father, her father's house to the house of her groom, and the legal tie with him was consummated. So basically, the wedding process started from the, the agreement at the gate, and it was consummated at the wedding. So that whole thing is a wedding. It's not just one day. It could take up to a year or even longer. So where are we right now? We are living at the starting of this contract. And the contract has already started. For all of us that have committed our heart to Christ, we have been in this contract. And we are waiting for the groom to come to take us back home to the place that he has prepared, like in John chapter 14, until the place we can go and celebrate and to be consummated with Christ, be one with him. That's what we are waiting for. Now, I don't have time to go in detail with this. Um, there is a whole argument about, about this, this bride. this bride. If you read in Revelation chapter 21, 21 verse 9 through 10, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So who is this bride that Jesus is marrying? According to the Bible, Revelation 21, it is the new Jerusalem that is the bride. That is clear, right? So the groom is the lamb, which is the lamb that was slain. Behold, the lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. So it is the groom that is the lamb. But the bride is the New Jerusalem. Now, who is or what is New Jerusalem? That's where the debate comes in. We'll talk more about that another time. But you should go and study the Bible. You should go and study Ellen White. There are so many different comments of who this bride is. But regardless of what this bride is, What's important is this. Christ is the groom. And in, throughout the Bible, except for the book of Revelation, the Bible portrays the bride as his people, us. And he's taking us back home to heaven. Whether that will be whether we will be bride or whether we will be the virgins, the guests attending the wedding wedding uh, supper of the lamb. It's not important. Are we in there or are we outside like the foolish virgin? That's what's more important. And the people who are outside, who are left outside, were not the total strangers. They were the ones who had their Bibles ready, had their Holy Spirit. They had their lamps burning, waiting. But they lacked the Holy Spirit and they were left outside. It was too late for them to prepare. So, we need to prepare. It is not that people who have completely ignored God. It is the people who have once accepted Christ, once were excited, once were part of this. They had the Bible. They had the knowledge of God. They had the Lamb. They had the Holy Spirit. They had the oil burning just like any other, any other virgins. They were like that. But when the time delayed, when it was tarried, everyone fell asleep. They too fell asleep. But when they woke up, they realize that they didn't have the Holy Spirit enough to carry them through that time. So we need to really prepare ourselves for that, for this time, because time is tearing, and when Christ comes, will we be ready? Will we be his bride? That's what is important. Friends, as it is promised in the Bible, he's coming soon. Are we preparing ourselves? Are we going to be the wise virgins? Are we going to be the bride? what are we? We need to prepare ourselves. Do you want to be prepared when Jesus comes and attend the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do you want to join that group? I pray that we all will be blessed to join that group. Let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, we really want to go attend this marriage supper of the Lamb, this joyous occasion at the fall of of Babylon and and the wedding supper is announced and the wedding consummation is taking place lord all of us have committed our hearts to go to this betrothal and we have been engaged with you we have been baptized we have committed ourselves to be christians and now we are your brides but lord are we keeping ourselves pure or are we joining this babylon what are we doing are we committing adultery are we turning ourselves away from this promise? As this time is tearing, that Jesus has gone up to heaven 2,000 years ago and said, I'm coming back soon. I'm coming to take all of you back home. I'm preparing a mansion for you. I'm coming back. But Lord, are we holding on to this promise? Are we keeping ourselves pure? Are we preparing ourselves, Lord? you know that you are coming soon. But how soon, Lord? Help us to prepare ourselves. Help us to keep ourselves pure so we can join you as a wise virgin or as a bride we want to participate in this wedding party. So Lord, please prepare us and help us to join this in this wedding party so we can rejoice with you up in heaven. We don't want to be left behind. Bless us so that we can be part of this wedding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christine, please come on up.